0: spend some time this morning together in the Word. And we're heading to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. God willing, it is my prayer this morning that this will be a shorter, normal sermon. I thought there might be a unified chorus of amen. Turn to someone and say, I think he's just getting our hopes up. That was a very unenthusiastic response. We'll move on. I want to talk this morning about hope. And in fact, the title of the message this morning, if you want a title, is Get Your Hopes Up. Get Your Hopes Up. If you don't like that title, here's another one. We could call this Is Your Hope Alive? Or is it on life support? Is Your Hope Alive? Get Your Hopes Up. We're heading to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you came in late, let me pray for us and then we'll get into it this morning. Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to bring your word alive in our hearts. May we see you this morning. May we know you. May we encounter you afresh, beholding the glory of the risen Son. And as we behold you, may we become more like you do a work in us do whatever it takes just don't leave us the same as we came in stir our hearts refresh us challenge us convict us and send us out for the glory of your name for the glory of your kingdom we pray in Jesus name amen Second Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to head. We're going to read from verse 1, but I'm really heading towards chapter 4, verse 6 to 8 is the theme this morning. And I know that's a long passage. This is a four-point introduction, but it will be a quick sermon, I promise. I promise. Here we have before us, I, I know I say this often, but... This is one of the most wonderful, I believe, books in the New Testament. And they're all wonderful. They're all my favorites. But this one's wonderful for a specific reason. This is Paul writing as a father. See, often we see Paul writing as an apostle, bringing correction, bringing instruction. We see Paul writing as a theologian, writing and expounding upon principles and precepts of truth. But here we have Paul writing as a father. Timothy was his son in the faith. And in fact... This is the second of two letters. This is the last passage, and it's really all one continual flow of thought. This is Paul's final words, not just to his spiritual son, Timothy, but the final words we believe that he penned. It was very shortly after he wrote these words, this particular book, possibly even as the ink was still drying on the page, that he would go to meet face-to-face with his Saviour. So what would you say? He's, he's advanced in years. He's lived. He's seen some things. What legacy would you leave for your children? Or what parting words? What final instruction? What final encouragement to someone you loved? To a son, a daughter, someone you cared for, someone you wanted to see succeed and thrive. What thoughts would you give to them? Well, let's see Paul's words to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. First of all, he sets the scene. He says, understand this, Timothy, my son, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Say this is looking really encouraging so far. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. It's not getting much better having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And he continues on. He's setting the scene here. I mean, as a father, you want your children to be prepared for what they will come to face in their lives. You don't want to sell them something unrealistic. You, you want to prepare them for what is ahead. And so that is his heart with his son, Timothy. He's setting the scene for what he will say. He's saying there will be times of difficulty. There will be troubled times. There will be trials. There will be tribulation. And you know, I'm amazed as I read these words some 2,000 years ago, and I know there is a sense here, as Paul writes, that he says, in the last days, this is what you'll see. So there is a picture of the state of affairs before the return of Christ. And yet I believe these words were just as applicable to Timothy, whom he wrote them to, as they are to us. And yet this could be You'd have to agree a very accurate description of the society in which we live. The one thing we so often learn, despite all of our modernity and the ways in which we like to think we've evolved to a modern, sophisticated people, the essence of humanity and human nature changes very little. From 2,000 years ago to now. So what is it that Paul will now say to Timothy? Does he say, well, there's difficult times, it's, it's, it's miserable, it's messy. I mean, there was nothing pleasant in there. What do we do? Do we give up? Do we pray that the Lord will rapture us out? What, what, what is our response? This is what he says. Let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people, and impostors, go on from bad to worse. What's the first thing he says? And I love this. Paul points Timothy to his character, his proven character. Now, if anybody could have pointed their spiritual son towards anointing and gifting and ability, it would have been Paul. Here is the Apostle Paul, possibly the greatest theologian that ever lived, possibly the greatest and most effective evangelist and missionary for the gospel, saw entire regions come to faith in the Lord Jesus, saw incredible signs and wonders. And yet he doesn't say Timothy here, this is what you need to recognize and realize. Look to the power and the anointing of God. Look, look to my ministry. Look how effective it was. Look how many people were raised to the dead. Look how many funds were raised. How many building programs we were able to initiate. Look how many saved souls. How many commitment cards. If anybody could have pointed Timothy to those things, it could have been Paul. And yet he doesn't mention any of them. He says, remember character. Proven character. Look to my example of character. And this is not the sermon. This is point one in the introduction. I would make this statement. You know, so often in this particular day and era, we will pray we last, God, Lord, give us anointing. Give us ministries. Give us influence. Give us success. We're happy to pray those sort of prayers. When was the last time you prayed a prayer, God, give me character? Hmm. Yes, it's not a prayer that you would want to pray very often, is it? It's a bit like, Lord, would you give me patience? It's a message for another day. But he says, look to character. Let's continue on. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. And really that word for continue there is remain steadfast. His theme all the way through this passage is, there's difficult times, but you need to remain steadfast. Steadfast in your character. And here he'll say, Steadfast in Scripture. Remember what you have believed, knowing from who you've learnt it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. He points Timothy to character. He points Timothy to Scripture build your life on the Word of God. This is not a museum artifact. This is the living, breathing, powerful Word of God, the firm foundation, able to challenge, convict, exhort, inspire, correct, able to transform us by the renewing of our minds. You could never overemphasize the importance of the Scripture and the Word of God. And if you've read the newsletter article for this month, you'll probably gather that we're going to have a bit of focus in coming weeks on the power of Scripture, the purpose of Scripture. So we'll move on. He continues. So he says, character is important. Building your life on God's Word is important. And then chapter 4, verse 20 says, I charge you. I command you. He doesn't suggest this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom this is a big charge coming right here preach the word be ready in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with complete patience and teaching for people won't listen to you they'll turn away he says but always continue to do the work that you're called to do and fulfill your ministry reminds him of character reminds him of scripture he reminds him of his calling of his purpose Remember, there's problems all around, but you are here for a purpose. You are put on this planet to proclaim the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never lose sight of your calling. And that is the same for you and I. Different callings, but we're put on this planet for a purpose. That's point three in the introduction. And here we go. Point number four. All of that leading up to this final statement of the final instruction that Paul would give to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to you, Timothy, and also to all who have loved, longed for, some translations say, his appearing, loved and longed for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say? He gets to the end of this. I know it's an extended passage, his final words, but the context is so important. He's saying there is difficulties, there is struggles, Things are going to come against you, but I'm standing here at the end of my journey. You're at the beginning of yours, but here is what I want to tell you with every fiber of my being. I want to encourage you that it's all worth it. It is all worth it. The good, the bad, the victories, the struggles, the trials, the toils of life. It is all worth it because he is my hope. I'm standing at the threshold of receiving the fullness of that which I'd hoped for my whole life. I've never lost my hope. Never lose your hope. Keep going. Don't give up. There is a prize more than worth and worthy of your efforts. And I love the phrase here he says, in verse 6, he says, My life is being poured out as a drink offering. It's a strange little phrase, but he's literally referring to the practice, the Levitical practice of offering the Lord a drink offering. This would often be offered as a part of another sacrificial offering to the Lord under the old covenant. And the purpose of the drink offering was to make the offering itself be a pleasing and fragrant aroma To the Lord. That was its purpose. So he's saying, My life is a drink offering to the Lord. He's saying this, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to know that I am at the end of my life and I've found a God who's not only worthy of bringing my worship to, but a God who's worthy of pouring out my life upon as a pleasing and fragrant offering to Him. I've never lost my hope. I've run the race. I've finished the faith. And my hope is in Him. And I want to tell you it's all worth it. It is all worth it. Difficult times are coming. Keep your hope alive. Never lose hope. Get your hope up. And I want to just stir our hearts a little bit and encourage us in this area of hope because it seems to me like hope... In our current era, our current day and age is a somewhat rare commodity, even rarer perhaps than an honest, integrous politician. Whereas hopelessness seems to be breeding quicker than the mosquitoes that are currently in my backyard, probably yours too, after all the rain. The rain has come and there's mosquitoes everywhere. There's been some stuff happening, let's be honest, in and around our circumstance, in and around our planet. And yet, we are called to be in the midst of this, a people of hope. We are not hopeless because we have a hope. And I want to link hope in this way. We've just finished a series on faith Talking about the importance of faith, the priority of faith. If if you haven't been here over the last month, I'd strongly encourage you to get those messages. Not because it's a good series in and of itself, but because I really feel like there's the Lord who is telling us and encouraging and inspiring us in the area of faith. But as we've looked at faith and seen that faith is, if you like, the foundation or the framework, hope is the fire. Where faith is the process, we've talked about the process of leaning in and living out. Hope is the power in the midst of the process. Where faith is the foundation, hope is the firm and fixed anchor that keeps our faith alive and keeps us anchored into our faith. There are few things in life more powerful than hope. In fact, Martin Luther goes as far as to say everything that is done in the world is done by hope. Hope fuels the world. As parents, we all know the the power of hope in rearing our children, in giving them hope and incentives. Sometimes there's a fine line, certainly there is in our household, between hope and bribery and corruption. But hope has a power. There is no medicine, no hope so great, no incentive so great, no tonic so powerful, said G.K. Chesterton as hope and yet christian hope differs from any other hope we should be the most hopeful people on the planet not because we're something special but because he is something special see our hope is not based in ourselves it's not based in politicians praise be to god it's not Based in the problems of this world, it's not even based in anything this life can offer. Our hope is based in the power and the promise and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he is our source, then surely we have a limitless supply. That even in the midst of hopelessness, we can know hope. Growing in the midst of darkness, hope never disappoints. And I'm so convinced that one of the greatest gifts that we can offer the world is hope. In the midst of problems, when there's marriage breakdowns, when there's a diagnosis from the doctor, when things are hopeless, that is the Christian's opportunity, isn't it? Scripture says, always be ready, always be prepared to give an account of the hope. The hope that is in you. And I pray that that's what, and I believe that's what the world will see as hopelessness rises. They will say, what is that hope? What is that hope that's in the midst of your life? I, I see your circumstances. I see the hopelessness that is all around you. And yet I can see in your life there is a hope that's burning like a fire. What is that hope? And we can be ready to give the world that which they long for, that which they could never find, hoping in themselves or hoping in politicians or hoping in, circumstances we can only find that kind of hope Christian hope when we look for it in the Lord Jesus Christ life without Christ is a hopeless end but life with Christ is an endless hope so I want to encourage us get your hopes up we say so often to our children well don't get your hopes up unless we want you to unless there's incentive and bribery involved but I want to encourage you, get your hopes up. Keep your hope on fire. Is your hope alive? Because I believe that we are going to need it. If you don't already, we're going to need it like never before. As things around us get more hopeless, we are going to shine with the power of our hope. Let's look at one more passage, and then i want to give you three very short, quick keys. Turn with me to Romans fourteen, eighteen. Here Paul is talking about the great man Abraham. We've looked at his life a little bit in the context of faith. But what I want to see just very quickly is this link between faith and hope. Because the two are so often mentioned together. And you can't really have one without the other. So Romans 4 verse 18, it says this, talking about Abraham. In hope he believed against hope. Figure that one out. Some translations put it in a little bit of an order. They say against all hope. In hope, he believed. Against all hope, in the midst of hopelessness, when there was no hope around at all, still somehow there was hope, and hope produced belief. And as we see, the belief gave Abraham the faith to receive. So in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told, your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in his faith, even though his body was old, a hundred years, say that's really old, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. We'll come back to that phrase. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Now, we've talked about that a lot in our series on faith. He who promised is faithful. What a wonderful revelation that is. But in the same way that we've talked about faith receives the promise, hope believes. That's what he's saying here. Against all hope in hope he believed so that by faith he would receive. Hope keeps us believing until faith can do the receiving. I don't know if that helps. If it does, fantastic. So let's look at three different aspects of hope. I just want to encourage us about this area of hope. Number one, hope sees. And we see this in the passage we read in Second Timothy. We see this in the book of Romans. Hope sees. It is hope that gives us the, be, the ability to look beyond the problems to the person and the power and the promise of Christ. It's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, there will be difficult times. There will be hard things that will happen. But I'm telling you, I've run the race. I've been there. It is all worth it. Never lose your hope. Look past the problems to the purpose and the power and the promise of Christ. I know I share stories about my young children many times. But someone recently, it was at the newcomer's lunch, actually said, Oh, I love your stories about kids so that gives me permission to share a few more not that i need it anyway but thank you for your permission one of the most wonderful things i believe about having young kids and certainly about having four young girls is that every day when they're little you get to be a super human superman and they look at you like you are just the king of the world. There's nothing my daddy can't do. And I'll be struggling along trying to lift a toy and I'll come along with two fingers. Say, daddy, how is it that you're so strong? You're so strong. You're amazing, daddy. I said, well, it's just the way God made me. Oh, isn't God wonderful? It's nothing like young kids to give you an inflated opinion of yourself. It's a wonderful place to live. And they'll be doing maths, and they'll start school, and they'll think up the biggest number, which is like 100 when you're three. And, Daddy, what's what's 100 plus 100? What's 200? <gasps> Daddy, how are you so smart? So, well, it's just the way God made me, you know. It's just, it's just who I am. Sooner or later, we'll be back to the dream world, but I'm just enjoying it. And then one thing my, my kids love all the time is to get me to fix their things and they have this saying it doesn't matter what it is if someone's grazed their knee something's broken something's gone wrong it's okay and they'll tell each other it's okay daddy will fix it daddy will fix this daddy can fix that daddy daddy, daddy is able to he's willing and he's able to fix this problem and they'll come to me And fortunately, most of the problems you experience as a three-year-old are fixable by your daddy I don't want to break. I don't know how to let them down. Some, some have to break to them that there's not actually all the problems in the world I can fix. But at the moment, we're in this place of daddy can fix every single problem. He's willing and he is able. And I was reflecting on the Lord's Prayer just last week as we were singing the new, this new song. And we sung it again this morning. And, you know, the Lord's Prayer is an incredible prayer. I mean, it starts off and this is Jesus saying, this is how you're to pray starts off he says pray our father now we could camp out there for forever he says you're praying to a father not to an impersonal god not to a force you're praying to someone who has revealed himself as your father now that changes everything in terms of your prayer he is your father and then of course it continues and it finishes with the phrase that is in the song that we sung talking about He says, as you finish, pray this, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's a powerful prayer, but that's an incredible, incredibly hope-filled prayer for this reason. For Jesus to encourage us to pray that. Think about this. Jesus said, you're to pray this, you're to pray, our Father, let your kingdom come, let your will be done here, now. Not just in the future. He's coming, he's returning, it's the here and now. We all know that. don't time to unpack that theologically but he says pray let your kingdom come and let your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven now two realities must be in play for that to be a genuine prayer a god himself must be willing and b god must be able he must be willing and he must be able. otherwise why would jesus say pray that well, pray that his kingdom would come, but really he doesn't care about your circumstances. You know, he sees that person you just voted for in politics and, well, that's it, you know. I mean, d- does God sit there and does he say, well, you know, you've messed up and you've made a mistake and that's it, I'm sorry, I can't fix it. It's done, it's done, it's gone, it's done and dusted. See, this prayer, I believe, shows us, first of all, that we're coming to a father, but he is a father who is willing and he is able and he's concerned in your circumstances. He's concerned in everything that is going on around you. He knows there'll be times where you need to pray that prayer and hang on to it. And it's not just a prayer for the full consummation of the kingdom of God, which will come when Christ returns, because he says the kingdom of God is here. It's within us because his rule and reign is here. But he's a God. He's a father. He's a big father who is concerned. He's willing and able. We've got to have that perspective of little kids of my daddy can fix anything. doesn't matter what the problem is. We're watching the news and there's bombing in Syria. Well, my daddy can fix that. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Our father. You see, hope sees. Hope gives us this ability to see past the problems to the person and the promise and the power of Christ. It's time to get our hopes up in a big daddy who is willing and able. Hope sees, but hope secures. Hebrews 6.19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. Now here's the reality. We love thinking about the anchor. But if you've been given an anchor, then there's going to be some times where you need to use it. An anchor is only as good as how you use it. It's only useful if it's used. So if you've been given an anchor, then we can expect that there are times that we need to anchor ourselves in. The storms will roll, the winds will blow, the seas will rage against us. And we've got to be aware both of the reality that we have an anchor, but we need to use Our anchor. What is our anchor? Our anchor is hope. Hebrews says it. We have a hope which is an anchor. A hope or an anchor is only going to be as good as what it is anchored into. And so often I believe the problem is not that we don't have hope. It's just that our hope is misplaced. Where is your hope? Is your hope in political parties? Is your hope in the nations of the world and leaders to fix up the problems that we face? Is your hope in the amount of money that's in your bank account? Is your hope in your health? Because if your hope is anywhere else, then your hope will be disappointed. But if your hope is in Him, then you will have a secure and a steadfast anchor that will survive Storms that come against you, you have an anchor, your anchor is hope, but your hope has to be anchored in him. We cannot fail to use our anchor. is your anchor anchored in to Christ because if it is, it will never fail. so hope sees hope secures, and finally hope supplies it sees it secures. It supplies. We said before, faith is the foundation, the framework, but hope is the power. First Peter 1, chapter 3 says it's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It is alive. It is active. It is burning like this unquenchable, uncontainable fire. It's not dependent upon any external source. But it is the supply that we need. To anchor into our faith. Hope believes, faith receives. It's a bit like this. My wife and I were traveling a few years back through the US. You might remember this story, my love. And there was this one particular chain of hotels that we loved. And we loved even more after this particular encounter. But we, we had uh, come to like this chain of hotel. We found one in the city that we were in. I think we were in just outside North Carolina at the time. We checked into the hotel, and I'm not sure exactly what had happened, but all of a sudden, the power in the whole area was gone. We, we asked them, I said, well, the whole grid is down. I don't know if that meant the city or the region or the area, but there was no power. All of a sudden, we're in a hotel, and the hotel goes dark, just like that. You think, this, where's this story going? How did they enjoy the hotel? Well, first of all, I went downstairs, and I said to them, look, and they said, Look, we're sorry, we've lost power. I said, That's okay, have you got a torch? And she looked at me a bit funny. Maybe if there's any Americans in the room that understand. I said, You know, a torch. I want a torch. Is there a torch? We're, it's dark, and we want a torch. And she looked at me very strange, like I was a terrorist. And I said, You know, a torch to bring light. She said, Oh, a flashlight. I said, Yes, I mean, a flashlight. I mean, I'm from Australia, but we do have flashlights. She said, I thought you wanted to light something on fire. You wanted a big flaming torch. We don't have any torch. But she said, look, you don't need to worry about it because I know there's power out everywhere. But the good news is it's not going to be for long because we actually have in this hotel, thank you, Jesus, a backup generator. We have an internal power source. And lo and behold, power was out everywhere else. But there we were. I think it was the La Quinta Hotel shining like a beacon of light and hope sitting in the air conditioning, watching the TV, looking at these poor people wandering around in darkness. But we have this internal power source that is not dependent on any external circumstances. That as everything goes out, the lights around the entire world could go, but hope burns like this beacon of light. It's the greatest gift that we can say. How? How are you burning so bright? There's joy on your faces in the midst of hopelessness. Well, it's because we have a hope that supplies. It sees and it secures us in and it supplies in the absence of any external circumstances. It is time to get our hopes up. How alive is your hope? And I feel particularly as believers, we need an injection of hope. We need this renewal of the hope. This uniquely Christian thing that's anchored, that sees beyond the problems, that's secured into him and that supplies that we would be the most hope-filled people on the planet. Romans fifteen thirteen, What a wonderful invitation this is. It says this, Now may the God of hope fill you Some translations say the God of all hope. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of his Holy Spirit. How many of us want that? Let's be a people who abound in hope. And this morning I want to pray for us as the worship team comes up. As we uh, conclude the service, and we don't always do this, but I, I just specifically feel that I would love to pray for anybody who feel like they need a fresh infilling of hope. A fresh That's what this invitation here, it says, May the God of hope fill you. May he fill you afresh with that fire that will never be quenched. That will see, that will secure you, and that will supply whatever you need. Supply you to believe until faith can receive the promises of God. So if that's yours, I just want you to come up the front. Worship team's going to pray, and I just want to pray over you. And then if you have other prayer needs, you're very welcome to come forward as well. But let's just stand together as we conclude. And I know you can all receive where you are, but if you want to come forward and say, yes, Lord, this morning, that's what I desire. That's what I'm looking for. Lord, would you fill me afresh with hope? It might be a top-up, or it might be that you genuinely feel like your hope is on life support. Just come, come forward. He can do it. This is about just saying yes to him, Lord. What I need is your hope afresh. And as you come forward, I'll just give you a moment to do so. Just put your hand on your heart. The rest of us, we're going to pray. You can, I know you can receive where you are as well, but particularly be joining in with me, praying for these people. The prayer team wants to come and just start moving around as well and laying hands on people. But Lord, as we bring this conclusion, the the service to a conclusion, Father, I just thank you that you are the God of all hope. What a revelation that is. You are the God of all hope. Not just a little bit of hope, not just enough hope, but the God of all hope who invites us to lift up our eyes, to see, to secure and to be filled with the supply that comes from your hope. And I just want to pray right now for each and every one of these people, specifically up the front, who has come forward for a fresh infilling of hope. And I pray just as Romans 15 invites us that the God of all hope would fill them afresh this morning, even right now. If you're up here, just allow the Lord to fill you afresh with his hope through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is the work that you've promised to do in our lives. And I pray that there'd be an ability, even as they come forward this morning, to look to you, to look past the problems, to secure themselves in to you who is the God of all hope, and to receive afresh the supply of your hope. Just stir that up in their hearts afresh. Just let it come, we pray. Fresh hope, fresh hope. Father, may we abound in hope. May we abound in hope. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, if you're up here, just keep receiving. I'm going to come around and just lay hands on you, as will the rest of the prayer team. If you have other prayer needs, why don't you come out to my left or your right and we can pray? you about those but i specifically want to lay hands on the people up here who've come forward to respond to that invitation of hope the rest of you bless you this week may you go forth and abound in hope amen